The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw a star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them whether Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Let us pray. Lord, speak to us today uh, through, your, through the videos we see, through your servant Randall. Um, I pray that we surrender everything to you right now, uh, our thoughts, our doubts, our fears, our expectations. Everything we've brought with us today, we surrender it at your feet. Uh, we want to hear your voice. Uh, so we just come before you today and ask that you speak to us and we open our hearts to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, good morning. How's everybody doing? Uh, we are going to continue our series called Jesus in Every Story, and I think that was just a great setup to uh, what we're going to talk about today, because um, our message is Jesus through the silence. And we're going to be looking at uh, Micah chapter 5, verse 2, uh, which was really this prophecy speaking into what we just read earlier, Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. And uh, here's what I want to do over this next month. You know, we started last week talking about how Jesus is in every story. He's not just in the New Testament, the 27 books of the New Testament, but he's in the 39. So he is all throughout Scripture. And that's what we want to see because here's what it said last week in Luke 24. Is that when you start to see Jesus all through Scripture, your heart starts to burn. You start to catch a fire for God. It enlightens you in ways that you never thought possible. And so that's what we want to do this month, is to open up the Bible and look at Jesus all through Scripture. And we're going to do that through this uh, amazing passage, Micah chapter 5, verse 2, which is this prophecy that is a very popular one uh, in this time, in this season. Uh, Old Testament scholar Graham Goldsworthy wrote this. He says, we do not start in Genesis 1 and work our way forward until we discover where it is all leading. Rather, we first come to Christ, and he directs us to study the Old Testament in the light of the gospel. The gospel will interpret the Old Testament by showing us its goal and meaning. Today, we know that Jesus came. We live on the other side of his coming, right? And so we get to experience the good news of what it means that Jesus entered into the world. And so as Advent is here, and when we're going in, we're just anticipating the coming. We know he's come, but we also know that he's going to come again, right? So you struggle. I struggle. We all struggle because right now there is still a silence that we feel where we feel like, God, you're distant. You're not here in my life. There's things that are going on right now. Are you there? But I want to tell you that Jesus is there in the silence, and we're going to work through this text today and just really realize how he speaks to us in those moments. Now, in our culture, the word silence has become a negative word, hasn't it? Uh, The words awkward and uncomfortable are usually associated or attached with silence. 
That was a little awkward for me. It's uncomfortable in the silence. We don't want the silence and anything to do with the silence because noise is a constant in our culture. It's all over the place. Ringtone, uh, TV in the background, uh, our earbuds in. Silence has become a negative thing to us. But research has shown that we need silence. Uh, a Huffington Post article called Why Silence is Good for the Brain gave four scientifically proven uh, reasons why we need silence. I'll give you all four. The first one was silence relieves stress and tension. Now, is this a season where there's a lot of stress and tension? Silence replenishes our mental resources. Is it hard sometimes to, to, to think during this season because it's so loud? In silence, we can tap into the brain's default mode network, which basically means contemplative thinking. You go through an experience and you're able to think through, what, what did that mean? Right? What, was that, what was that all about? The fourth is getting quiet can regenerate brain cells. And so there's a way that God has made you and designed you that you need silence. Dr. Helen Lees, uh, in this film that is going to be coming out in the U.S., but has come out uh, internationally in the pursuit of silence, says this, silence returns us to what is real. You might feel out of control because when silence circulates, it makes you that much more aware that you're not in control. So it puts people against a wall and says, this is you, and you're human. And you're existing right now, and this is your reality. Do you like it? And often people say no. So they don't want to know that their moment is uncomfortable. Awkward, uncomfortable, that's usually how we feel about silence. But in history, we find that before Jesus entered into the world, God was intentionally silent. He was intentionally silent for 400 years. And what this was, was our moment. It was our moment for human history to sit back and, and know and realize that we are human, that we're not in control, that this is our reality, and that if God was not with us, we would have a huge problem on our hands. See, we needed God's voice, but we needed the silence. It was intentional. Because what happened is that all of history leaned to the edge of their seat and said, what's next? What's next? Is it just going to be silent or is God going to speak? And after 400 years, God broke through the silence with the cries of a baby. God did the unthinkable. God became man. Emmanuel, which means God with us. See, that's the beauty of the Christian message. That's the beauty of the gospel, that God came to us, that God became like us. I love the translation from the message version of John 1.14. It says, the word, God, Jesus, became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. Jesus moved next door. Jesus was with us. He became like us, flesh and and blood. And so how does that speak to us today? 
How does that speak to us in those moments of silence when it feels like our world is spiraling out of control? Well, we need to hear him. And our text today helps us to understand. And so we're going to go through uh, Micah chapter 5, verse 2. And uh, this is what we would say is in the Old Testament or the Hebrew Scriptures. Micah was written uh, 700 years before Jesus' arrival. And this text tells us specifically how God would speak to us. How God would speak to us. And so when God spoke, how did he choose to speak? That's what we're going to break down today. Because God chose to speak in three ways that we find from this text. And so here's how he spoke. I'm going to give you all three up front. Here's what they are. The first one is he, he would speak to the insignificant. Second is he would speak through the powerless. And third is he would speak for the helpless. He would speak to the insignificant. He would speak through the powerless and he would speak for the helpless. And so the first point, to the insignificant. Look at the first part of Micah chapter five, verse two. Here's what it says. It says, but you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah. So that's where he starts. This is a personal message, and he starts with the insignificant. He starts with the, the too little, the, the ones that don't matter. That's where God starts. Why? Because God cares for the lowly, and his power is best displayed through the broken and the outcast. You see, God is not like us. Isaiah 55 verse 8 says this. This is God speaking. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. His thoughts are not like ours. His ways are not like ours. God is completely different. And let's face it. When we think about it, I mean, who do you want on your team? Who are the people that you would go to first? Right? The, the, not the insignificant, but the capable, the, the competent, the ones that you think that those are the A players, top draft choices. I remember uh, in college, freshman year, intramural football. Okay, so you go to a Christian college. In our Christian college, we didn't have football, uh, football team, right? So we got in, intramurals. And you see everybody come out of the woodwork for intramural uh, football, and everybody's like, man, I'm this football player. I'm great, this, that, whatever. You know, and so all of that happens. And I remember uh, our first game, and uh, I was on a pretty decent team, uh, really athletic guys that knew how to play football. It was great. And the first team that we played against was uh, a guy named Tim, his team. And Tim was a senior, and humble guy, loving guy, gracious guy. Um, everybody loves Tim. And Tim was the captain of his team. And uh, our team was dominating Tim's team. We were, we were winning and it was, it was, it was getting kind of ugly. And I remember uh, one of the players on Tim's team looking over at him and saying, just frustrated, 
right? So frustrated that they were behind, so frustrated that uh, he felt like his team wasn't um, as athletically gifted. And so he, he, he looks over at Tim and he says, Tim, did you have to be like Jesus picking our team? Right? Did you have to be like Jesus, you know, when you were like, okay, I want this guy and this guy and this guy and this guy. And what he was saying was, Tim, why'd you pick our team the way you did? Because right now we're getting blown out. That's what God is doing here. Do you see it? God is picking the people who would have been picked last first. God, before he does anything, levels the playing field. He's not like us. And what we see in this text is that God says, you know what, you're too little to even be considered a clan of Judah. They don't even think of you as a clan because you are so small and insignificant. And God says, that's why I'm choosing you. That's why I want you See, he calls out to the lowly, the outcast, the hurting, the weak. He calls to anyone that would listen. That, that's the same visual we get in Luke chapter 14, 15 through 24, as Jesus is talking about this great banquet. He says, uh, God wants to throw a party. And so he invites people. And what happens is the, the people who feel like they've got a lot of things to do and really don't care much, and, you know, I, I've got so many invitations from so many different places. He says, those invitations were sent out to them and they make excuses of why they don't want to come. And so the, the person that's throwing the party in the, the parable of Jesus says, you know what? Instead of going to those people, go to the streets, go to the lame, go to the weak, go to anybody out there. Give them an invitation. Come to the party. He's like, I want to have my house filled. I want this place filled to the brim. That's the heart of God, is that first he speaks to the outcast and the insignificant. And so some of us right now in this season, as we're going through it, we feel like nobody hears me. I don't really matter much. On that Christmas day, I don't know if I'm even gonna get a present, but I just want you to know that the greatest gift, God says, I want you. I'm choosing you, and so that's the kind of God, that's what he speaks into our lives. Augustine, uh, early church father, once said this. He says, I've read in Plato and Cicero's sayings, wise and beautiful, but never in either. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. Yeah, Plato, Cicero, you speak to the educated, you speak to the wise, but I've never heard, come to me, all. All who labor and are heavy laden. Isn't that who God is? It's just, God is unique and that he calls to this insignificant. Secondly is when he speaks, he speaks through the powerless. So when we're working through the silence, like here's what he does. He speaks through the powerless. And so uh, the second part of uh, Micah chapter two, or, or verse two. From you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel. Those two words, from you. How did God choose to manifest himself, right? He didn't just choose to say, I'm gonna speak to the insignificant, but I'm gonna work through you. From you, from the powerless, I'm gonna work through you 
to do something amazing. See, how did God choose to manifest himself? He chose to do it through the powerless, through the weak, through the tiny, through the insignificant. And what this does is it tells us really two insights. Um, The first is it tells us about who God is. Have you ever thought, what is God like? What, what, what's his character? Like, who is he? Right, and so we read it in Scripture, but like, I really would like to sit down and just know who God is. If you want to know who God is, look at the sun. Look at the sun. Look at how he came. Let it speak to you because the life of Jesus is the thing that speaks to us about who God is. David Murray, in his book, Jesus on Every Page, wrote this. He says, God has never manifested himself to men in any other way than through the Son. That is his whole wisdom, light, and truth. From this fountain, Adam, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and others drank all that they had of heavenly teaching. From the same fountain, all the prophets have also drawn every heavenly oracle that they have have given forth. It is all manifested through the sun. And so when Amanda in that video talks about the Christophanies and Jesus, the Old Testament, you look at where the angel of the Lord, right? So it's like when, when uh, the angel comes to Mary, it says an angel of the Lord. When it talks about him in the Old Testament, it says the angel of the Lord. An angel is just a messenger. It doesn't mean that Jesus is an angel. He's a messenger. And you look where he pops up. He pops at the most pitif- pivotal moments in all the Old Testament history. So Moses, you'll find him there. Abraham, you'll find him there. He's all throughout Scripture. He's there. And he speaks to us still. God loves to confound us by speaking through the powerless and weak things of the world. He astounds us with his beauty through the lowly. 1 Corinthians uh, 1, 26 through 29 says this, for consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Why does God use the powerless? So that he shows us that all of us are powerless. And he's the powerful one. It all speaks of him. It all declares of him. And so his coming was in the most unlikely way through the powerless. I want you to think about this. God chose to speak through a baby in a barn, not a king in a castle. Think of a baby. You can't get any more vulnerable than a baby, right? You can't get any closer than a baby. You can't be any more powerless than a baby. But God chose to come in that way. Jesus was born a baby. Luke 2, 7 tells us that. He grew tired, John 4, 6, so he's like you and me, and got thirsty, John 19, 28, and hungry, Matthew 4, 2. He became physically weak, Matthew 4, 11, and he died. He died, Luke 23, 46. God became powerless 
so that we could experience his grace, so that we could experience his nearness, so that we could experience him speaking to us and being able to relate to us in ways that no one else could, right? Because think about it, if God were just up there, out there, but had never come to be like us, never lived a life like us, he wouldn't really be able to relate to us. But we have a God who has come and become powerless and he speaks to us in his grace. See, the second thing is this tells us all something about the gospel. This tells us something about the gospel. God is not the man upstairs saying, get your act together. He's God with us. He says, I will come to you. Hold on, God, you're gonna come to me in my mess? You're gonna come to me in my powerless and my weakness? Yes. That's where I meet you. And the only way we can approach that kind of God is through admitting weakness, not strength. Approaching him humbly, not with a resume saying, look at me and look at what I've done. See, it's through the powerless and it's understanding that really we are powerless and we need him to come in. And lastly, we find that he spoke for the helpless. For the helpless. So look at the last part of verse two. Whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Why did Jesus come? See, it's written into the fabric of this world. It's the story behind every story. His coming was from of old, from ancient days. I want you to get this visual in your mind, right? Like Star Wars is starting. What does it say? A long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. And then all of a sudden, you know, it's like Star Wars across the screen. You know, like all this stuff starts to happen. That pause that we're like waiting for the song. We're waiting for the Star Wars to come in. That's the pause that God puts into history as Jesus is coming into the world. That's the anticipation of it all when when he's saying Jesus coming isn't just a plan B because the world's messed up. Jesus coming was the story from the beginning. It's the whole story. You see, Jesus was there at creation. Jesus was there at the fall. Jesus was there standing in the gap waiting for the perfect time to enter human history. I want you to know that, like, this is helpful for us. Um, Coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. In the, the original text, the word that is used for the old and ancient days is the same word that's used in Proverbs 8, 22 through 23. And what it's talking about there is the days before the creation of the world. There is one that was going to come that was there before the creation of the world. There was there one that was there from eternity's past. And Micah is getting across to us that this isn't just any person coming. This is supernatural. This is a, a person that is, is not just a normal person. And it's Jesus. And so why did he come? He spoke for the helpless. He came for the helpless. Long before Micah, all the way back in Genesis 3, just like I said, he was there. We get the 
in Genesis 3.15, the Proto-Evangelium. What that is, is the first gospel. So Holy is saying that the world was falling apart and sin entered into the world and then all of a sudden God speaks a good news right into that moment? Yes. Here's what he says. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. You're like, what does that even mean? There was an offspring that God was gonna bring that was gonna destroy the work of the enemy. Destroy the work of the devil. Destroy evil. And it was Jesus. See, Jesus came for the helpless. Why? Because all of us get ravaged by sin. All of us get ravaged by this season and the times and, and saying, God, where are you? But we need that word to be spoken into our lives that God is coming, that God is our hope, that God is our salvation from all that's around us. See, Jesus came for the helpless, and that's us. Um, my youngest daughter, Ava, she's, she's three, and uh, one of the things that she does right now is, um, you know, she's, she feels like in a lot of ways she can do a lot of things, but um, one of the things recently that she, she does is she just, um, when she can't do something, like put on her seatbelt, you know, her, in her car seat, she just throws her hands up and says, I can't do this. We're just like, okay. <laughs> Three-year-old just back, I can't do this. She's throwing up her hands, giving up. And so what she's doing is she's waiting for someone to come to her rescue. She wants somebody to come help her. And it's only when we admit, I can't do it, I'm helpless, that we will personally experience the life-altering power of God. And what happens is he comes to our rescue. He doesn't sit back, but he comes near to us. See, Jesus' coming will never be beautiful if you believe that you are strong and powerful and I can do this on my own. He comes to the helpless. And he comes so close. I love the second half of John 1.14. John, his best friend on earth, says this. He says, we saw the glory with our own eyes. The one-of-a-kind glory, like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. This is somebody who experienced Jesus. And he says, I've seen him. I've seen what he's like. He's generous inside and out. He's like nobody I've ever met before. And he came for us. He became like us. He came for the helpless. And so what do we learn from this text today of just some takeaways that we can walk away with here? And, and so I want to break this down into three takeaways for today. Um, so if you're taking notes, the first one is this. He's closer than you think. He's closer than you think. Silence does not equal absence. But you know, like, like, again, we live in this culture where it's busy and there's so much going on and there's so many voices and, and things that we're listening to and we never stop long enough to actually appreciate the silence. But what we equate silence to a lot of the times is, well, he's not there. I don't hear him. If he's silent, then he's got to be absent. And that's not the case. See, God was there during those 400 years of silence. It's like God disappeared, like for the 400 years, like I'm back. 
No. God is there during, was there during their moment of silence and he is there during our moments of silence. Psalm 130 verses one through two says this, out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. What this does is, this psalm is it, it gives you permission to cry out to God and say, I don't understand. It feels like you're distant right now. God, give me mercy. I'm crying out. Do you hear my voice? It's okay to do that. It's not like, oh, shame on you. You didn't believe I was there. No, he doesn't do that. Like he comes in, he says, you can say these things. The psalms give us permission all through to say these types of things and to be honest. But how does he end the psalm? He says, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word, I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen in the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. Even though there's darkness now, what is the watchman looking for? He's looking for the sunrise. And in your darkest moments, when it feels like there's silence and there's no way that God could break through, he does. But he's asking you to wait on him. And what does the psalmist do in this text? Well, it says he, he puts his hope in his word. In his word. So when you feel like you're going through moments of silence, it Did God's word disappear? No, you can read him right here. You have him right here. And we can wait. And we can know that he's gonna come through even though there are moments that we feel like he's distant. He's closer than you think. The second takeaway is he shapes us in the silence. What we find is that through history, God is very intentional about how he lays out history. It's not just by happenstance or circumstance or any of these types of things, but history unfolds because of God and his sovereignty, and he is over all things. And if God seems silent, he may be calling you to lean in further into him. Right, what happens when it feels like things are silent? Well, do you back off? Well, God, you're not there, so I'm not gonna listen to you anymore. I'm not gonna read your word. I'm not gonna pray. I'm not gonna go and be with other believers because I just don't hear from you, and so I'm just gonna distance myself, right? Is that that, that our response? Because what happens is God wants to shape us in the silence. What happens is it develops a yearning for him, a yearning. Say, man, I, I need something. I need, that's how you know you're a Christian, Right, you're like, how do I know I'm a Christian? It's when you, when you feel like, man, there's something not right. I, I need a word from him. I need, I need to hear from him. I need, to, I need to be around some other believers right now. Like, I need to, I just feel like there's something that's pulling me towards him. That's him. That's what he does. See, and it's, the shaping happens, it's when you're continuing to pray, when you feel nothing. It's continuing to read the word when it feels like everything starts to pull you away from him. It's, it's continuing to come and just being with other believers and saying, okay, I'm here to press in even though I don't hear him as, as much as I did before. It's like my friend Amanda would say, it's just putting one foot in front of the other. That's the Christian life. 
is when you are just putting one foot in front of the other, just like we see through scriptures as, as people from, they're not gonna get Jesus for another 700 years here. In the next verse, it says, therefore, he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. Like, okay, people are like, okay, is that, is that talking about Jesus? Yeah. Like eventually, there, Jesus is gonna come? But 700 years? What do we do in the silence? We keep putting one foot in front of the other. That's the beauty of the intertestamental period. There are believers who just kept putting one foot in front of the other. And so that's what shapes us and gives us a resilience during the silent moments, right? We ask, well, how did this believer get so strong in their faith? You don't realize the silence that they face. You don't realize the moments that they've been through to get them to this place of just trusting and believing, right? You, you didn't see their life. You didn't see what they had to walk through. But what they did is they kept pressing in and they kept being shaped by God. God keeps forming us through it. And what happens is, lastly, he speaks through our weakness. Because the weaker we, 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 you know, we, we, we feel we are, it's, it's probably because we've been walking with Christ a really long time. It's like where he's just come in the gap and he's just filled in those moments where we felt like, oh man, I, I couldn't do it. My wife uh, this past week reminded me of a lady that we know from the East Coast that was our pediatrician. Uh, her name is Dr. Beam and, and so we would go visit Dr. Beam and uh, amazing woman, loves God. And uh, in 2010, she had her first child, and that child lived for two weeks, uh, but had a heart condition and ended up dying. His name is Thomas, and she wrote down all of her thoughts uh, on this blog. It was like her journal that just to share her walk with, with Christ. And uh, I want to read to you an excerpt from a year after Thomas's death, because what happens is she's speaking through her weakness. And as I read it, I'm just in tears. And so here's what she says. She says, Thomas died one year ago tonight. November 28th, 2011 will always be the worst, most terrifying night of my life. Today was a hard, uh, was a hard day, but a good day. My tears were there, but not constant. I'm so glad that this year of first is over. There are no more days to dread. I can already tell I am feeling calmer. November will always be a tough month, but at least I know what to expect. Listen to this. I am comforted by the fact that my worst night was Thomas's best night, his first night in heaven. God is so good, and I am truly amazed when I think about how much healing has occurred in my heart over the past year. When people ask how we are doing, I can honestly say we are doing well. God's grace is truly enough for each day. Now, I can't imagine the pain and the silence that she's had to endure. Can't imagine it. But to come out on the other side and to speak through her weakness and just say that God's grace is truly enough for today is incredible. Incredible. 
And here's a quote that she put on there at the end of this blog. She says, uh, this is by Gregory, Gregory Floyd in A Grief Unveiled. Here's what he says. This is what is compelling about the cross. It's two aspects of suffering and glory. Christ suffered in the extreme for us. And by his suffering, he assured that two things will happen to our suffering. First, it will have meaning when linked through prayer to the cross. You're not going through it for no reason. Second, it will be over. A better day is coming. New heavens and new earth, new bodies, unbent, unbroken, unstained by tears. This is our hope. We are not meant for death and sorrow, but for life and joy. You see, that's what it does in our lives. You ask when you're going through the silence, well, how, how do I know that God is with me in the silence? Here's how we know. Emmanuel. After those 400 years of silence, Jesus broke through. See, God didn't just send another prophet at that point. He sent himself. He spoke to us directly. And he spoke to us through the greatest act of love the world has ever seen. The cross. And God the Father agonizingly left his son on the cross in silence as he cried for help. See, we cry for help, but Jesus himself was left on the cross crying for help because here's what he says. He's repeating the psalmist from 20, uh, Psalm 22, verse one, and he says it in Matthew 27, 46, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? How do you know you're not forsaken? Because Jesus said it on the cross. How do you know that your prayers are heard? Because Jesus' weren't as he cried out to a father who in that moment didn't respond. And the father in his agonizing pain looked at his son. For you and me. See, Jesus endured the ultimate silence so that you and I could be heard when we cry out in our silence. And the beauty is now that he hears us through it all. He hears us through it all. And so do you see what Jesus has done? Do you see that Jesus is there through the silence and that he's come and now we have good news because Emmanuel, God with us, is true. It's true. Let's pray. Father, I pray that today we see the beauty of you coming to this earth, but not just coming to be with us and like us, but you came to die for us. You sacrificed yourself on the cross for us. And God, you love us. And so help us today to receive the good news and to know that, God, through Jesus, we have everything we need. And if there's someone here today that does not know that and is feeling your, your calling, that they'll respond. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.